1: 95.7 FM. Hello and welcome to my conversations with my guest co-host Michelle Woodward. This is our eighth and final conversations, but I'm going to preface it in this series because Michelle's been here before and I hope she'll come back again. Um, we've talked about building relationships, managing crisis, uh, values as your guiding light in your career, raising grounded authentic children, breakthroughs in big moments, and moving through unworthiness, and dealing with disappointment. And today, we're going to talk about how to end things well. Michelle, hello, and thanks for being here with me today.
0: Thanks. And I feel kind of weepy, like, (laughs) what's the end? So we're talking about how to say goodbye, but I don't want to say goodbye.
1: Well, that's why I need you to promise that you'll still come back.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I will still come back. Look, if like somebody... Does it show up? You can call me. If like it's the day beforehand and you don't have anybody, you can call me. You have a crazy idea. You can call me. That's what it just goes without saying, but I'm saying it.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Have a safety net.
0: Yay. I'm, I'm your safety net.
1: <laughs> so let's talk about this. How to end things well, because we're going to end, we're ending again, remember this conversation series. I put that in there very deliberately. Um But So often people need to end jobs or relationships, marriages, friendships. So um, where do you see this uh, in the work that you do?
0: And they also, you know, there are a lot of things that need to be ended. Like they need to end um, ways of thinking. They need to end habits. Um, You know, there are just so many things that have a natural ending. And what I, where I see people get, like I worked with a client this morning who's a senior executive in a large company that you would know. And um, she has this legacy employee who who just sort of landed in my client's department. And this employee is a, a drama queen, and my client is getting complaints from all around the organization about how difficult this person is to work with and um, and the kind of command and control that this person is doing. I mean, it's just, it's a bad situation. And what was really interesting was to hear my client say this morning, you know, I really should be able to turn her around, you know, and, and so many of us have this thought, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. smart, I'm capable. I'm a senior vice president.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm a rational, rational person who gets high scores on my performance review for being a good boss. I should be able to turn this person around. And what I tried to raise is, what if the person's a sociopath? (laughs) (laughs) What if they're a narcissist? You know, what if they're not coming from the same place of goodwill that you're coming from? Mm -hmm. And then what is it about you that thinks, I should be able to make everybody become a better person? You know, walking around the world with that thought in your mind means that, you know, that's all that's a big burden, don't you think?
1: Oh, that's well, I used to carry that. I can just fix it. I'll fix it. I'll take care of it. I'll fix it. That's that's huge. How did you
0: set that down?
1: Um, well, the three types of business, right? So Mm -hmm. trying to just staying in my own business and working on that. And I do think, because I do want to make an impact and change the world, obviously, and this show's one way I do it, but I think a lot about how can I plant seeds and are these people, you know, whoever it is, are they willing, you know, are they interested or does the drama serve them? Right. So I understand, um, instead of trying to fix, I wait for the invitation. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I had, I had a meeting this morning that there was somebody that was seeking some help. And so that was something that I stepped into. And there's other people I watch them self-sabotage or be destructive. Um, And, you know, in, in, in the terms of being a drama queen or making excuses or things in the way. And, and I don't step in and go, let me show you, because that was really, for me, I think more ego-centered.
0: Yeah. And it's this, uh, you know, the, the three business, you know, my business, your business and God's business, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, however you happen to see God, if you do. And, but the, the idea that My way is the best way. Mm -hmm. And if I can just, as I've said before, string together the right words, you know, you're going to have this light bulb moment (laughs) and suddenly all your sociopathic thoughts are going to fall away and you're going to be a model employee. There's so much going on in that thought Mm -hmm. is that who am I to say that that drama queen is not actually doing exactly what she needs to be doing at this time. It just doesn't work for our organization. But obviously it's working for her. She wouldn't be doing it. Mm -hmm. There's, Yeah, she's
1: getting something. Right. right? And it's serving her. Even if, like when I ask my my clients the question of how is this serving you, they'll say it's not. But they're doing it and they continue to fall back onto it. So it does serve them.
0: And sometimes it can just serve to reinforce things like, uh, nobody likes me mm-hmm. right i ha- i don 't have this, but some people <laughs> have that right? Nobody likes me, and so they a- they actually subconsciously create those moments where they 're totally reinforced that nobody likes them because they 're a freaking drama queen so my where I tried to help my client open her eyes was what the burden of bearing that that thought that I should be able to change people I should be able to rehabilitate people. What that was costing my client. And then, you know, what was her resistance about just letting this person go? Mm-hmm. And so many people, when it comes to something like letting people go, for instance, you know, we put ourselves into the other person's spot. Like I had a client about six months ago that had to make, because of the corporate office, had to let go about 10% of the employees that reported to him, which was about 25 people. And he was beside himself because he knew what it would be like if he was let go. So he was going to war with the HR department, trying to get, you know, 500 more dollars, um, one more month of severance, you know, for each of these people, because he was so, um, identifying with the people losing their jobs. And I said to him, but, what if getting let go is the best thing that ever happened to them? And he looked at me like, that is like so weird. But I said, what if somebody is going to use this time to write a book? Or maybe they've been really feeling squeezed that they are they have an ill parent or a, a sick child, or they themselves are ill and they've been trying to manage this. You know, people have lives beyond what you know. So why not just say, this is what has to happen. You know, this, this is the situation and let them go with love onto what they do next. You know what I mean?
1: No, I do know what you mean. And I think one of the things that comes up for me as you're talking about that, Michelle, is that you are not rooted in lack or scarcity. As you say that, right. You're rooted more in these opportunities of like, okay, this is, this is no longer a fit. But what if there's these other things, right? Like you're forward thinking, where it sounds like with him and with so many people, and myself, I can even include, we're in that lack place of it's only this, and there's just not something better out there.
0: Right, right. And again, you know, I go back, uh, keep going back to our friend Hiro Boga's idea on ideas on sovereignty, and and it is kind of like Byron Katie's, uh, you know, three kinds of business. When I am totally in my business and I give you all the space you need to be in your business, I can be empathetic that I need to let you go. I can be supportive. I can be a great reference for you. I can send you job postings that come my way. You know, I can mentor you and I can, I can coach you, but also from a a personal sovereignty and respecting your sovereignty I, I can't be as upset as you are because that may not allow you to be as, ha- have feelings, whatever you feel. And there have been so many people I know who've been called in and say, you know, we just have to make a cut and you're going to be gone. And they say, thank God, I'm going to have eight months of severance. You know, I can take that class that I've been dying. I'll get my master's degree. You know, I can, I can move. You know, I can take care of my mother, I can do whatever. And and that's where of course it's like hard to be fired or let go. You know, it's it's awful to be downsized. But if you do it for respecting if, if I can respect my sovereignty and you can respect your sovereignty, then it, it makes it a lot lot easier.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you always been this way? Because I know you've gone through um, difficult moments in your life. So is that something that gave you this kind of resilience that you have now?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think when you get the stuffing knocked out of you four or five hundred times, you know, stuff happens. You mm-hmm. come out of it different. No, but I, I do think that that a couple of things is, you know, the older I've gotten, the less certain things really bother me. But also, you know, I'm coaching people, I have four to six clients a day. Mm-hmm. So for many hours of the day, I am, I'm living it and I'm talking it and I'm teaching it. And I'm experiencing it. And so I just think that exposure um to kind of not being in that the lack uh, place, not being in that scarcity place. And it's a lovely way to live, I it, have to say. It's, it's, whew, it's a difference.
1: No, it is it is a huge, it's a huge difference and as I've shifted over into getting out of scarcity. It's amazing because um, it doesn't drain your energy.
0: Right. Right. And I don't, I don't get drawn up in the drama of it. You know, um, like if I was the boss of that person, I would just say, well, there she goes being herself. Mm-hmm. And herself is not working in this organization. So I would go to that person and say, look, these per- specific things are not winning you friends in this organization. It's not moving the ball forward. So you need to change it or you're going to have to go. That's what I would do. <laughs> you know,
1: it's so interesting because I had this conversation yesterday, but it's, it's that idea that compassionate people have boundaries, right. right? And so often what happens in workplace organizations is people get upset and then they go to the higher person to put them on probation or get a job report instead of, you know, the person say, going up to them and saying, here's what we need out of this position, Right. right? And that's taking care of our business. And here's what we see you doing. And there's a gap. Is this something that you can fulfill? Or is it something not? Right? right. And, and in like kind of just coming down with like, what are the facts of the situation? It's not you're a bad person, or you're worthless. It's it, it, it does it does it fit the th- the needs of the company or the organization. But I think it takes a lot of courage to have those kind of conversations. What do you think?
0: I think you have to have courage and you also have to know what your HR rules are, you know, because if you're in a very large organization, there are very specific steps you have to do and you have to do that. But I do think you, you. it's just like in, a, in your uh, intimate relationships, in your love relationships, you know, you don't go immediately for divorce when they forget to take out the trash. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You owe it to the relationship and to the future to say to them, I'm kind of bummed that the, the trash didn't get out. What happened there? Mm-hmm. Instead of letting it fester, letting it, you know, not say anything, walk around, you know, slamming doors and, you know, all that kind of stuff thinking they shouldn't it, that you're really ticked because the trash didn't go out. You know what I mean? It's like when my marriage ended, I wanted to make sure I wanted to feel like I had tried everything to make it work and when i got to the point of realizing it's still not going to work and i really have tried everything honestly authentically openly then it then it makes that leaving a lot easier because you have tried
1: everything now it makes it the ending leave or the leaving a lot easier but isn't there still because i think when people hear that they go, "Oh, well, then I shouldn't be having these feelings of grief or of sadness. Those feelings are still there, aren't they? It's right. just that you're moving through them instead of being curled up on the floor
0: or being in a marriage for seventeen years that is really not working. I mean, you know, I, I say seventeen years, but like let's say that that all that that rather than saying, "Wow, I have tried everything and now I need to move on you you tr- keep trying. You keep trying, you keep trying, no different change in results. And weeks turn into months, which turn into years. And And you've been in an untenable, difficult situation for years because the, the leaving is the hard part.
1: It is the hard part.
0: Why do you think the leaving is the hard part? Well, because I think you, I think there's in, in many things, like, so let's say leaving a job, leaving a job is hard because a lot of us define ourselves by our work. So we go from being a senior vice president for marketing of, you know, Costco to being what, you know, unless we go to another senior vice president job or a EVP job or something else where it feels like growth we we who are we if we're not that and the same thing in in marriages or love relationships if we're not if we're not somebody's partner who are we mm-hmm. and for those who really do define themselves so much by the people in their lives the job that in their lives where they live that sort of thing that the change means of A really significant redefinition, which is super hard. If you think about all the times in your life, in anybody's life that you've redefined who you are, it's like when you graduate from high school and then go to college. You know, you're redefining yourself there when you go from college to a job, when you you get married, um, when you lose a parent. You know, there are all these moments of life that are moments of redefinition, and they are the hardest moments of our lives. So why would you invite that hard moment in? I think that's a lot of people's worry. What do you think? Well, you no, know, I think people don't want to invite those
1: hard moments because um it's scary. But those like I look at those hard moments as those are going to strengthen me to be more resilient. And um you know, recovering from like the former queen of certainty who wanted a lot of certainty. I think that's one of the reasons that people don't want to leave because if they know that this is X and it may be toxic or this job may be dramatic or they, you know, their spouse may be X, Y, and Z, they don't know what the unknown brings. And so again, they go back to that scarcity mentality or maybe this is as good as it gets. Right. And, and I know like, um, so I think that uncertainty is one of the things that has people stopping from leaving or ending. Because at least if you know what you have here, um even if it's not great, sometimes they're like, "Oh, well, it could be worse
0: right and and there comes a moment, like let's say, for instance, you had a a partner who had a uh, an addiction issue right and and you've been the compassionate partner, you've been the partner that takes them to meetings or takes them to the emergency room or Um, you know, takes them to counseling, pays for them to be in rehab, whatever, you know, everywhere along the way, you have been there with them. And then it becomes really clear to you that the person is not going to be able to beat the addiction. That regardless of what you do, this person is going to remain actively involved in their addiction there comes a moment for people who find themselves in those sort of situations where I can stay here and be a part of this situation that doesn't look like it has a good outcome, or I can actually leave this person to do what they need to do, and i i'm you know the stakes are so high I need to get out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Have you ever observed that?
1: Oh yeah, no. I, I and but I think sometimes like that f- the the meaning or the purpose right the pain becomes too great and it it does over overdrive us out of that fear that can hold us back right so if um we're afraid of the uncertainty or we're afraid we have a scarcity or we that we have fear that are the things that get in the way of making a change sometimes like that meaning and purpose become greater or because you know maybe sometimes um you know in, in a in a relationship where it's really unsafe um that can be a catalyst to over those things that get in the way
0: well like for instance i i have a friend whose um husband lovely guy um really descended into a serious um alcohol addiction and like, that's the person I was thinking of when I was mentioning that before and where it really came to a point was when he was intoxicated and had their children in the backseat. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a moment when she said, Hey, now the choice here is very clear. How can I put my kids in this situation? Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it like, It's the, you know, I guess her priorities came into sharp focus. Um, And, you know, she ended up uh, leaving the marriage and uh, and he never got sober. And there are consequences of that. But what I'm what I'm guess is, is that, you know, when if you look and you say, if magic happens, this situation is going to change that's a clear sign that perhaps you need to move on, get some space, because it's likely that magic is not going to happen. Hard work needs to happen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and and so it, that's, that's really what I would say is that you think, like my client, I should be able to rehabilitate this person. Mm-hmm. You know? That's magic thinking. Well, don't you think it's also part of the sexiness of what
1: of what's fed into us with the culture, right? Of the, um, gosh, I mean, whether it's the the Jerry Maguire, you know, Tom Cruise telling Renee Zellweger, "You complete me," right? Or you know, how many guys have been rehabilitated by the girl in the film or uh, the boss who can transform stuff? I mean, we we and we take that on and think that hey. I can fix this. Are you the 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 latest TV show scandal, right? Where she's the fixer. She goes in and handles it and fix it. Um, but don't you think some of that is just culturally what we're conditioned instead of us really getting down to what is the idea, and what is the reality? What can I affect change to, and where where are the limits of what I can do?
0: Really, and ultimately all you can say is, from my perspective, this is what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. And for my own, uh, you know, health, this is what I need to do. You know, and that, I mean, that's such a clear and um, self-loving way to go about your life. You know, my, my favorite definition of love, which I probably have told you before, comes from the theologian Henry Nowen, who said, love is making a safe place for another person to be fully themselves. And I absolutely, I just, I can't let go of that definition of love because for me it works on so many levels, and that is also if somebody is in a very destructive pattern in their life and and I have done what I can, you know, I have, I have supported, I have... Um, Expressed my support, my love for them, and they still need to be on a destructive path. Then, what I need to do is I need to make an extraordinarily large space. I need to absent myself from that space because doing so is self love. You know, I, I give, if I give a um, homicidal maniac a ton of space, that's good for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> so and and so this is what I think a lot of people think, well, you know, I'll just engage and I'll give them I'll give them, you know, logic and I will talk to them rationally, but when somebody's in a hugely emotional state, logic, rationality doesn't really feature because they're so emotional. So in those cases, again, I'm thinking about my sovereignty, I'm thinking about sort of self-love, and I'm going to, from a loving perspective, back off and move on. And that's the other thing I wanted to say about about when you leave things. You don't need to slam the doors. You know, you don't need to burn the bridges when you leave something. Leaving something with a real honest, you know, this has been great. It was great. It's, I've loved working with you. It's been fun. have you been know, parts have been fun. There have been parts that haven't been so fun. And I'll see you down the road. I, you know, I live in Washington, D.C. And what's kind of crazy for me, because I've lived here a long time, is there are people that I worked with in my very first job in Washington who I still know and see today. <laughs> uh, it's a small town. And so if you go around burning bridges, you may come up to somebody someday who is a United States senator or is, uh, you know, in a position to hire you for something else. And so when you burn bridges instead of build bridges, you really, it may feel emotionally satisfying in the moment, but in the long run, you have probably foreclosed other opportunities down the road and plus created some sort of negative energy. Well, because what's the
1: cost to you, right? It may feel good to react and say, you know, things about that person, but right. it's usually short term because is that really, do you feel really good when you stand in a place of judgment of another being?
0: Right. There's this uh, psychologist, Dr. Terry Reel, and his whole specialty is on dealing with men, uh, men, the, the psychology of men. <clears throat> Excuse me. And his famous saying is you can be right or you can be married. And for a lot of people, when they, you know, when they slam doors and they burn bridges, it's because they really and truly want to be right. They believe they're right. And so they're going to make the big scene just to reinforce, I'm right. And you know what? They might be right. But it doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's they're going to be gone.
1: Yeah, no, the the building the bridges versus uh, burning the bridges, I think, is really important. It's how, because how do you want to be? How do you want to feel? And when we talk about energy, right, and the units of energy every day, it's very reactive to come from a place of anger. I had a guest years ago who said, you know, can you catch that feeling? Mm -hmm. So you can catch that anger. You can catch that being wronged. But then in the end, who do you want to be as you're walking out? You know, and can you look back and be with a sense of
0: pride or will you look back and feel shame? Right. And another thing I often ask my clients, are you the person within the organization who has the position and the power to change the entire organization? Now, sometimes they are. You know, if they're a CEO or CFO or, you know, they run a division or something, you know, they can have tremendous impact. You know, if they see a wrong and they can fix it, it makes a huge impact. But if you're sort of an entry level, if you're in your very first job and something ticks you off and you try in a very rational way to fix it and it can, you can't fix it, you're getting a really great lesson on corporate culture. mm mm-hmm. And basically, there may be a misalignment between you and the corporate culture you find yourself in. And a lot of people endeavor to change the entire corporate culture. So I'm going to try, from my position as a sales representative for Time Warner, try to change the entire megalith that is Time Warner global. That is a a recipe for frustration. You can change what you can change within your area of influence. But if you think, man, it's wrong that we're doing this. Unless you're in the position to really influence it, all you can say is it's wrong, we're doing this, and I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to find a new job.
1: Yeah, I think um, understanding do you fit into the culture is an important thing about uh, about where you want to be. Because sometimes it's, it's more than just, um, you know, it's, it's so interesting. We don't talk about this as kids go through college and then they're looking for jobs. It's how much does it pay? What's the benefits? You know, and uh, what's the work commitment? Is it the line of work you want to do? But do you, do you, do you mesh with the culture of the company? That's right. an important thing to also take a look at. When we talk about, you know, leaving, ending things well, let's talk about um, relationships or friendships because that can happen too, right? Um, we Sometimes we have this idea that marriage is supposed to be for the rest of our lives in 50 years, but that's obviously not the case with the divorce rate that we have. But also friendships, right? Don't we go through cycles with friendships as
0: well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think... You know, if you're, let's say you, you have a great interest. I mean, you know, back in your comp- your very competitive swimming days, you probably had friends that were also swimmers and on the team because you saw them every day at practice and you, you know, you ate with them and you, you know, you really focused, you were really close friends. And then maybe one of them, because of an injury or whatever, stopped swimming. And you just have less and less in common. I don't think that's necessarily a tragedy. You know, again, why not love the one you're with, as the, the old song says. But, you know, while I'm here now in this moment, I really like this person. And the truth is, I will probably like them for a long time. I'm just not with them all the time. That's the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. Well, no, and I, and
1: I talk to people about that in clients, you know, as your kids, right? Your kids can be a tremendous impact to your friendships, And when your kids are in preschool, you may have those people. And then when in elementary school and, and then out things shift and there's different sports teams and who are you around? There's just sometimes people that you're around and, um, and then things kind of come to an end, but then you may circle back at another point, um, in your, in your life.
0: Yesterday I had coffee. I met a woman for coffee who I met in 1986, which is a long time uh, to know somebody. And we had not seen each other for probably a year just because of the nature of mm-hmm. calendars and stuff. We sat for two hours, yacked, yak, yak, yacked, <laughs> yacked, yacked, caught up completely on kids, on her husband, on their jobs, on their Christmas plans, on, you know, their kids, everything, friends we had in common. I may not see her again for another year and that's okay because the depth of the relationship and the, the depth of the knowing and allowing to be known it, 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 works. And so I, I guess for, I'm, I guess I'm weird in that I don't sit around and think, Oh my gosh, I haven't seen Anne Marie in 23 minutes, <laughs> you know? There must be something wrong. I'm like, oh, I love Anne-Marie. Anne is like the bomb diggity, you know, and I can't wait till I see her again. But do you know what I mean? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like, again, that long view, you know, we're all sort of, we're here for a while and people come and go. And, you know, my friend that I had coffee with yesterday knows that if she ever needs anything from me, she can call me and I know the same thing. Mm-hmm. So,
1: well, again, it goes back to you're not rooted in lack or scarcity, Mm-mm. right? So you can have that time. You can have that connection. You're not rooted in lack of worthiness. You can both show up and your worthiness isn't determined by do you see her again next week? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know that you have that safe place. It's, it goes back to like your definition of love, right? Create making a space for making another person be fully themselves, right? So you can fully be yourself in those two hours and then carry on until the next time. Right. So let's talk about, so that made me think about this. How to, when we talk about how to end things well, how about how to end conversations or, you know, when you go to coffee or go to lunch, how to, and, and so those are going to be continual stop, start stops, right?
0: Mm-hmm. How do
1: how does one end things well in those circumstances?
0: You know, and I think again this goes back to your your comment earlier about, you know, how, the importance of having boundaries. You know, the conversation going on in the United States today around race, um, around rape, sexual assault, yeah. Um, around politics, all of these are so fraught. And um, you know, you could find yourself in a situation where you're sitting in a Starbucks with somebody and they go on a racist rant. They go on a political rant. They go on a rant about uh, false accusations of, of uh, you know, alleged rape victims, whatever, that you may find completely at odds with your own worldview or the way that, you, that you're raised or whatever. What we kind of default to, I think, as human beings is to kind of sit there quietly listening and, and not really act, actively saying, you know, I don't agree with you at all. Actually, we might even find the one little teeny tiny place where we do agree, and say, "Oh yeah, you know, well, there are a lot of there is a lot of paperwork with the Affordable Care Act, you know, or something, whatever." Because it, it, we still, as humans, there's something about wanting to keep that relationship intact, and it's awkward, and nobody ever gets training in in any of this. Whereas what what our hearts often want to do is to say. I find that really offensive and I don't even actually want to have this conversation with you. Or, you know what, I completely understand where you're coming from. I just have to tell you, I've had a completely different experience and I don't share your viewpoint. Let's talk about the weather. Nobody is trained in how to do that. I mean, do you think anybody's trained? Oh, no, absolutely not. (laughs) But from a personal integrity standpoint, you know, from my own sovereignty, you know, there have been times in my life when I've said, you know, I completely understand where you're coming from. I'm just going to tell you I have a completely different view. We can talk about that. But maybe this is a topic we don't need to talk about. Mm -hmm. And if they're really offensive and they keep at it, you got to get up and go. And I don't care whether it's at the dinner table with your Uncle Harry (laughs) or whatever if it's going to compromise your integrity you feel like crap. You don't need no one needs that feeling like crap in their life. But don't you think some people
1: and I know for myself like we can be drawn to feeling like crap. Right? There it's it's kind of like that going to touch that hot stove. I mean, I just had a conversation with somebody earlier this week and they keep getting drawn back into this relationship, right, with this person and but they don't feel very good about this. And uh, so I, I think it takes practice. I don't know about you, but I think it takes practice to be comfortable with feeling good and saying, ooh, I don't want to feel that way. This isn't okay.
0: Right. It's that if feeling like crap reinforces some idea that I don't have any, I, there's nothing better for me than to feel like crap, That that's the problem. The problem is, is that I've got this idea that somehow life is hard I never get a break, you know, that, that feeling like crap is actually the right state for me. (laughs) What I, what I know for myself is the right state for me is open. Um, what's the accepting, um, happy, um, joyful. And when I'm away from that, I need to understand why now, if I stub my toe, I'm gonna feel fully, you know, <laughs> cursing, <laughs> screaming, like whatever I need to do, right? But that's just momentary. I'm gonna to return to my kind of s- steady point, which is that place of of happy clarity. You know, am I making any sense? Or does it sort of <laughs> sound like whoa, 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 whoa? whoa no, whoa. it
1: it makes total sense. I mean, one of the things that I work on with my clients is I I talk about neighborhoods. We use that as the metaphor. And, um, sometimes our brains, right. Cause of worthiness or whatever, the stories that we tell ourselves are so stuck. Like we're used to feeling like crap. We've created those prison walls in our brains. And, um, so, you know, so whether it's the drama queen or whatever it may be. And, um, and so there's a saying that, uh, um, we've used is that you can get like, we had this one kid who came from this area that was, um, uh, it was the ghetto. And when he came, he swam for me and then he swam for my husband. And he really struggled because he would say, there's all these white wealthy people. You know, I, I, what, I, I don't, I can't be here. And it's like, why can't you? Right. Or like last week, my husband's team was at the University of Texas and a lot of the women were like, well, w- we feel weird being here. Right. There's that. Do- it's the, so the, there's the UC Davis neighborhood and then there's the, you know, Texas Longhorn neighborhood mm-hmm. and they didn't feel good enough. So whether it's the ghetto or where, wherever you're comfortable. And so it's, I talk about, and I work with my clients about practicing living in a new neighborhood. So, you know, if you want to feel better, right? If you want to move away from this, how can you feel good? What are the things that you want to feel? So like for me, I want to feel safe, you know, open and loving. And, um, and so those are the things, you know, that i I practice and I practice creating, but for a long time, I was in different neighborhoods, you know um and so so that's something I talk about. I don't have no idea if I was articulate or
0: not yeah no i, I totally <laughs> get it, and i you know and I just I do think that um people have these ideas that they carried around like you know an uh, extra backpack their whole life. Mm-hmm which is uh, people from my neighborhood uh can never feel comfortable in that neighborhood.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, people like me don't go to colleges like this. People like me don't have jobs like this. That then that leads to once somebody knows the truth about me, I'll be rejected. Right? And then that leads to people doing whatever they can do to not be rejected. When the reality is if you welcome, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to accept rejection if it arrives today. You know, if it arrives today, I will deal with it. If it doesn't arrive today, that will be fine too. So, you know, cause what you resist persists. So if I do everything I can to not be rejected, the only thing I'm going to be having is actually more rejection. It's like this. I gave this analogy to my uh, client this morning. You know, if I, if I go into a marriage thinking, oh, my God, I better not get divorced, guess what? <laughs> you know, every day I'm going to wake up saying to myself, I hope I don't get divorced today. I better not show who I am because then that mean, might mean that I get divorced. I have a friend named Lisa, and she's so smart, and she's so funny. And she wa- she tells me she wakes up every day, rolls over, looks at her husband, and says, do I still want to be married to him today? <laughs> And I, I laughed too. And she said, Michelle, every day for almost 30 years, the answer is yes. She said, but, but just asking the question allows me that little space that someday it might be no and that will be okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, wow, that is really love.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, she's practicing being self-aware, right? Instead of being more in love with the idea of being married. Right. right? But th- the fact that, hey, I'm going to check in and does, is this something that I still want to be a part of? And the right. answer is yes.
0: Right. And she's actually almost like repeating her vows every day. Mm-hmm. She's making that commitment every day. So I think one of the things that you, we've kind of gone
1: into is about focusing on what it is you want to create. Right. So if you want to get out of that scarcity neighborhood or those neighborhoods, but focus on, okay, well, what is, what is the neighborhood I want to live in? And when I talk about neighborhood, is, it's inside your brain. You know, where do I want to focus on? Instead of focusing on worry and not enough, focus on what it is that you want to create now. Mm-hmm. That becomes really powerful because again, when it goes back to energy, here's an example. We, I was in Arizona and um, a parent had emailed me and said, Oh, you know, my husband's worried we're going to miss the flight. And cause we have this tight deadline between, you know, the swim meet at night that our kids are swimming at and they making the flight. And I was astounded because I've in 21 years, never missed a flight, knock on wood. Um, And we've run through airports. You know, we've done every single crazy thing to get on that airplane. Um, And that's the way Sunday nights just typically work. But I don't even think about missing the flight. I think about we're going to make the flight. What do we need to do to ensure that we will be on that plane? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a metaphor just for any other thing about a job, a marriage. What are the things that I need to do so that I can, you know, have a great family life or that, you know, I can have this relationship with my spouse or I can have, you know, to d- within as much as I can control at work to execute the things that I want.
0: Right. And so that may mean quitting a job, but doing it with, you know, a handshake and a hug mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and staying in connection, you know, and it may be, it may be going from one place to another just full of joy um, and, and having the people that you're leaving happy for you as opposed to some big, you know, Chernobyl in the office. So if you have that vision, this is going to be an easy transition. You know, I'm going to be happy for myself. I'm going to be happy for them and they're going to be happy for me. That's probably what's going to happen.
1: Wow. If people left jobs that way, how different would it be? Right. That's a great way to, to, you know, end a job or a relationship.
0: Yeah. My, um, my old boss, uh, whenever anybody would leave, she, you know, we'd have the cake in the conference room kind of moment. And she would always say, I am so glad so and so is leaving because we now have the best alumni network in the world from this organization. She said, when you look at the people who've walked through this door, done their time here and really contributed and go on to something else, they are out there doing great things. And, and we have a wonderful alumni network. And I thought that is such a generous way to do it. So that if people came to her and said, you know what, I've been offered a job and it really seems like the right thing. She would say, that's awesome. How can I help? Mm -hmm. instead of like, how can you leave me? Mm -hmm. It was like, awesome. How can I help? Is that not like, what a beautiful way to live.
1: That is a beautiful way to live. That is a beautiful, and again, it's not rooted in scarcity. So my takeaways from today is really to be rooted in compassion and really focus on what it is that you want to create And realizing that, you know, people can leave, but it doesn't mean that they don't come back or in some ways that connection doesn't foster in other areas.
0: Exactly right. You're so smart. (laughs) It's the company that I hang with. Well, hey, I am going to miss having these times to call and talk with you. And I just, um, I know that you're going to ask me again. And I'm going to, you know, I'm on my tippy toes thinking I can't wait till you ask me again. But, you know, what you do in the world is just so great. And I know all the people who listen and have listened to you over the years have really benefited. So thank you for doing what you do.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you for, you know, taking the time out of your busy schedule and doing this commitment with me. Um, It's been just fun to just have that, you know, see you in my calendar and go, yay, I get to talk with Michelle, you know, (laughs) because it is great company to keep and it helps me rise. So thank you.
0: It's a mutual admiration society we have here, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Thank you.
1: So, I just re listened to that interview that I did with Michelle, and I did it about a month ago. And here I'm writing, doing the wrap up. And wow, do I have stuff that I can learn? And what great messages for me. So, while I was in the experience of doing it with Michelle, There were so many things that when I heard us talking, it reminded me of how to help me move through things that I'm currently going through. And that's one of the reminders that I have about the show. So much of the content is evergreen. How can we go back and listen to other shows that maybe we heard it, but it's not just a checklist of, oh, I listened to this interview. Okay, next one. I know I can get into that mindset of, oh, check that one off the list. Check that one off the list. Check that one off the list. One of the things that I know as a coach is how can I revisit what, else, what other nuggets or what uh, support do I need and can I get it from a podcast, a book, from a colleague and go back and practice it. When I uh, coach swimming, kids coach swim on a swim team for years, sometimes for a decade or more. And it's not that they show up and they master it and then they're done. They're constantly going back and practicing and they may get their stroke technique just right and then it falls apart and then they we circle back or they may actually be able to swim a race really, really well the way the coach would want or the way we would you know, put together with the information and science and then the next time they show up and they are swimming at their old ways. So it's constantly practicing and revisiting. So it was fun for me to listen on the other side. I really tried hard not to critique myself and I'm going to be working on improving the show as I always try to do for you. But it was a lot of fun and there were just great reminders. And so some of the things that I want to talk about as I wrap up this series is thank you for sticking with me on this experiment. I know that this was something that some of you were hesitant on, like, really? News not always better. That's what one of the iTunes reviews said. One of the iTunes reviews was from Callie Go, and, she's, that's, and I know who this is because we've exchanged emails through the years. She's a longtime listener. And she says, by far the best podcast interview show on the planet. I've been listening for several years, usually on Saturday as I work out or do housework. I didn't think Corinne could have a better format for an interview show. I was skeptical because new things doesn't always mean better. I am wrong. I love it. I don't know how she continues to deliver such good shows week after week. I guess it's magic. IMHO, Allie, I don't know what that means. Um, IMHO listening to How She Really Does It beats the pants off of seven minutes of Marie For- Forleo and the sugar Rush. Allie, please let me know what IMHO means or somebody send me an email. Thank you so much. Doing this new series was uh, something that felt right. I wasn't quite sure. I called it an experiment. So I used, decided to practice what I coach with my clients, excuse me, <clears throat> and test it out. Do an experiment. Michelle is great. She's been a guest before on my show. We're really comfortable and. The, I know the shows have been really helpful for the listeners out there. So thanks for willing to stick it with me and go through this experiment. I, my next, uh, co host is Jennifer Loudon and she's going to be coming on in the next couple of weeks. We've already done a few shows together. They're just kind of everything's been backed up because of, I just have a lot of stuff and I'm going to still continue, uh, researchers, authors, and other guests. So I've, I think the format that I'm going to go with at least for the next three to four months is I'll do two of these co-host shows, one book, and then one just guest where um, I'm not reading a book, but something about their story, because one of the things that I call myself as a story collector. So how can we use these stories from other people's lives to move through our own lives, to inspire us, to give us that common humanity of, okay, I'm not the only one that's feeling this. I'm not the only one that's having a struggle. Or just this week I was helping clients with not not that I was telling them what to say, but we all want to know what do we say to somebody when they're going through something difficult. And so with today's interview or the show with Michelle, we talked about how to end things well. We talked a lot about many different scenarios. Some of them may not resonate. Some of them may may. One of the areas that we we started in the intro that we didn't follow circle back to was how to how to end the way that we think or how do we end what is it how to end things well in the way we think how do we change our thoughts so if you remember years ago when i interviewed carol dweck one of the things that she talked about with having a growth mindset was changing your thoughts i've got a guest coming up and at some point todd cashton who wrote the upside of the downside He's a positive psychology professor at George Mason University, and he talks about that. He talks about how do we separate and create space from our thoughts. So how do we end things well, and how can we end how we think instead of sitting in the swampland, the stories that we tell ourselves, moving past it, how we look at things. There were a lot of different scenarios that Michelle and I talked about today, about maybe a marriage. I love that question of, and where did I write it? Do I still want to be married to him? And it's not that doubt of, oh no, this is bad, but it, it's a great check-in for us. We're reflecting in, is this where I want to be instead of mindlessly going about our life? Doubt or questions or being reflective doesn't mean you're in a bad situation. I was with a client earlier and they were really concerned because there was that questioning in this relationship. Are we Do we still want to be together? Do we not? It's a way to check in. Am I living in line with the life that I want? What can be tweaked? Is there something that's upsetting me that I can help change that? Is there a boundary that's being broken? Is somebody bringing up a conversation that I don't feel comfortable with? These aren't bad things. They can be giving us information just like so many of my guests have talked about, like Carla McLaren. Uh, we, We talked about our emotions on the show and she's been on a couple times. But going back to how to end things well. I invite you to build bridges as you end things well. And then for me, one of the things I was laughing as I was talking about, oh, overcoming certainty. And then this last couple weeks, I've really wanted certainty. I've gone back to that and really been holding tight. And the show was a great reminder to me that when I get like that and I get really graspy and then I get really controlling and I'm not trusting, I'm not having faith. I want it's I it's I'm I'm needing to see it to believe and when I used to coach swimming at the college I used to tell my athletes believe to achieve you must believe to achieve and from for the situations that I'm going to now it's about having the belief that things will work out instead of trying to control it I'm going to have to remind myself this many many times many many times and it's not going to be something where I'm going to walk into the situation that I'm currently going through and, oh, it's all great because I can just tell myself this mantra once. It's going to be practice. And then reaching out to the people who are on my support team when I have doubt and who can, who can help me go back to, okay, what are your values? How do you move through this? Having the faith that things will move forward. Looking back at my evidence that I have of this lifetime that I've had of how things have worked out. Instead of having to, as I like to call it, dress rehearse for tragedy. I'm really good at that. So just like with the show, I've experimented. One of the things that I, the my the show's purpose, it's so fascinating because I just wanted a place to help figure out about life. I'm really passionate about that. And at some point, the message became about that we fall down and we get back up. A long time ago, probably at the start of the show, I just thought that there were those people that were hyper successful and they were successful because, and so we could learn from them, not realizing that they were successful because they were unsuccessful in so many aspects and that's what drove them there. So just like with these bad feelings, if you ended things poorly in a past relationship or job, there's no need to beat yourself up about that. Instead, look at that. What did you learn from that? What are the things that really bothered you? How will you change that? And that's a growth mindset. Instead of beating ourselves up, looking at, okay, I made mistakes. I did the best that I could with what I knew. That's Maya Angelo. How can I do it differently next time? Because you're going to get a lot of practice. And focusing on what it is that you want to create. And sometimes um, that can be really scary. Right? Focus on what I want to create. How can that be possible? No, I need to stay in the swamp land. But focus on it. What is it that you want? Do you want connection with people? Do you want love and belonging? Do you want to have work that you really love? What is it that you want to create? And what are you doing to help create that? And what are the things of letting go of the past so that you can move forward? And in 2015, I was sitting here today, and the last couple, the first few weeks of 2015 have been challenging. There's been lots of growth and I almost wrote something about it on Facebook and I thought, you know, what kind of energy am I bringing out there? And so instead, I wound up putting something of lots of learning and growth in 2015. What about you? And that's what I think for you guys, or I'm asking for you guys is what's your growth that's happening? And it can be challenging. Last week, it knocked me down on my butt. I got back up, just like what I talk about with the show's manifesto. The people that I invite to the show are about people who have fallen down and gotten back up and fallen down and gotten back up and fallen down and gotten back up. And that's really the true path to success. And yes, I really want that straight line. And there's some days I'm like, gosh, I just really want this to be easy. But it's curvy. It's curvy. And then we, become, we can become resilient like Michelle was talking about in the show. We get the butt, our butts kicked and we become resilient as we move through. So thank you so much for hanging here with me on this journey on how she really does it. I really love the show and I love the community of people. And I so appreciate like these iTunes reviews that I've just figured out in the last week or so of how to even see them. So thank you. And I invite you to go and post them. That's just, it's fun. And then the other thing is that for somebody else who's coming along down the line to see is this worth their time, they can have your perspective of what did, what did you get from this so thanks a lot and if you want to sign up and stay connected you can go to my weekly newsletter at it to sign up for that weekly newsletter and I usually put interviews and then I write a letter that's just for you guys
0: on a lake, she is dreaming she is drifting never been so wide away. captured in